Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith. He's Derek Terry. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. Happy to be back on. Yeah, it's uh, last Thursday, I think, was the last time that you and I were both on the same episode. Uh, posted my thoughts from the blue-white game yesterday, and it's now officially basketball season, and this is going to be a basketball mailbag. I put the tweet up late Friday night, got some questions to that. We also got some questions in DM, got a lot of shade and sharp, uh, a lot of roster questions, Derek. It's it's that time now where we uh, transition and, and talk about both these sports, and Kentucky plays another opponent Friday night. Yeah, you know, UK plays uh, Kentucky Wesleyan Friday night. Um, I will not be going to Starkville. I know you will be, but I will not be making that trip. So I'll be over at Rupp uh, Friday night to cover cover this first exhibition. And, you know, we were over at the Blue-White game uh, last Friday. You put your thoughts up from that uh, on yesterday. But, yeah, it's that time of year, you know, I think that the basketball game last week came out a good time just because there was a bye week for football. So, you know, you kind of pay more attention, I guess, to that exhibition. And uh, now it'll be a pretty full weekend between the scrimmage or the exhibition, I mean, on Friday night. And then, of course, the football game on Saturday, one more exhibition after that. And then it's time for Duke. But uh, like you said, Sean, this hopefully this mailbag isn't too dated. I think we put it up Friday night. So some of these questions – uh, a lot of them pertain to Shade and Sharp, and some more info has come out about that, but it's been pretty uh, kind of hard to figure out his whole deal. But let's just start right here with David. Um, David asked, uh, and this is still just speculation. I don't think it's been 100% confirmed from his people what he's going to do, but uh, with Sharp coming in early to play after Christmas and taking, uh, and taking being number one player in 2002 means you'd be surefire – surefire lottery pick in the 22 NBA draft. Who do you see UK going to get to fill a spot in the 22 class? Um, well, where this is confusing is uh, I think people are assuming that Shaden is coming to UK just to practice and then go straight to the draft, and I don't believe that's the case, right? Yeah, I don't – it's been it's hard to follow right now. I mean, because you have a kid that's that caliber, a number one player, Derek. Uh, I mean, I, I can see where people think that he's going to come for a semester and then go to the NBA draft. But then again, I they keep I think his camp and people keep saying that that's not the case, right? That yeah, that's, that, that's, that's not that's not the plan. Which and then if you're in UK spot, you're not going to say you know don't come early because it could be if if he does leave, it's one of those things where you want to get the most that you can out of him. But you would love for him just to come. To me, the perfect scenario, Derek, would be for him to arrive at Christmas, practice the second semester, and stay committed to being on that roster next season. Yeah, and I know initially uh, on Twitter there was some talk about, you know, since Shaden Sharp is, you know, he's not from the United States, he's from Canada, you know, did that make him a international prospect? And, you know, according to Ben Roberts yesterday, who did some reporting, um, since he's attended high schools in the United States, you know, he's, he basically has the same rules. Um, but his mentor yesterday told Ben it's not an option in terms of being a guy who just comes to UK, practices, and then goes straight to the NBA. Personally, I don't think that's something UK needs to, you know, at what point do you draw a line between, you know, helping kids out <laughs> 
I mean, I know it was a big deal with Hamadou, and I think Cal is so far on the spectrum that if he thinks he can help kids, then he'll probably do whatever. But that, to me, is not – that's not a route they need to go. I don't think bringing a kid in for a semester to practice just so they can go to the NBA is really beneficial to uh, to UK in any way. No, I mean, it's, it's not beneficial to your program at all. Like, no, you're, it's I mean, not a this, – this is a you scratch my back, I scratch yours, and this is just I scratch your back. So right. <laughs> like you, you can't, you just, that, that's where Cal walks this line where you want to do what's best for these kids, but you also have this program in mind too. And if there's no shade and sharp on that roster next year, it changes the way that you look at that class. And that's what yeah. we were being asked about right there is, is who fills that spot. Nobody fills that spot, not talent wise. I mean, you can't fill the number one player spot in your class. And there's no one out there in the 22 class right now, Derek, that's filling the caliber of that. Even if a reclass, I mean, you, you want to look and see the way the transfer portal is now, that, that's probably how they'd fill it, honestly, because you're not getting a caliber of, of Shaden Sharp in 22. No, no chance. There's a few other uh, – let's, let's combine some of these. This one's from Greg. It says, if Shaden Sharp enrolls early, does he play this season? And then John asks, what's your estimated date of when Sharp will actually play his first game at UK? Uh, and then also another question I think is a good question, but also how do you think it will affect the chemistry of an already loaded team? So I'm just going to take, and I don't maybe you can call this being naive or what, but really at this point, I don't see any reason to not take these Shaden and his camp at their word. I mean, I, I think the plan is probably really to do what Hamadou did. I think they probably view Shaden as having no benefit of just dominating another high school season. Go to UK, work out, get adjusted to the program, practice against better players. And then, you know, when his time comes next year, he'll be ahead of the curve. That's how I'm going to choose to approach it. And, I mean, if people want to freak out about it and uh, think he's using UK or whatever, then I'm not going to tell you not to. But – uh I, I think maybe they deserve a little bit more. I don't know. As much crap as Hamadou got, like, he still came back and played. You know, yeah. I know it had people on edge. But I, I'm going to assume, you know, to answer Greg's question, no, I don't think he plays this season. I don't – I'm not going to say that they don't need him to play. I would never say that the number one player in a class couldn't help the team. If he decided to play, yeah, he probably would help them. But – what John asked, I think, is a reasonable question. I want you to answer this, Sean. How would the chemistry be affected if he did decide to play? Or how is it affected regardless just with him being there to practice? It, it would have definitely affected, in my opinion, if he played. If, if we're talking January, let's say, that he, let's say that he does come and he does play, there's no way that you kind of ease that in in conference play. That's really hard to do. When you've already got a rotation set, you've got your roster, your, your starting five set, things like that now. I mean, if, if Sharp – if Sharp comes and he plays, then I think that we kind of know that it's a one-semester deal. That's how I would look at it. If he plays the second semester, I think he's done. I think that's it. I don't think he's on the roster next season. How do you feel about that? Well, because then that would you, tell me that Cal's trying to get something out of it, and it's well, not he, just uh, come and practice and then go to the NBA deal. Well, I think if you had the number one player in the country to this team – or. I mean, they might they might push them up a notch out of the like. To me, they're like a probably a Sweet Sixteen ish team right but, now. But I keep telling myself this too. They had a chance to add Kofi Coburn to the roster this summer, and Cal didn't want to mess with chemistry. And that's the only thing that's that's kind of stumped me with this one is 
I don't know. It's just such a very, it's a confusing thing to follow right now because you knew Hami wasn't going to play, but this is a different caliber player than Hami. Like Hami wasn't going to be the number one or number two or number three NBA draft pick. Shaden Sharp has all the tools to be a top three draft pick. It's completely different. Uh, but I think that I'm of the thought of this, Derek. If he plays the second semester, I think it's because Kentucky's not very good. I want to read this quote, and again, I encourage you, we've had Ben Roberts on the show, go to the Herald Leader, read the story, it's on Kentucky.com. Um, the quote is in regards to if Shade would come here for the semester and then go to the NBA. So this this quote is coming from, uh, his, his last name's Washington, let me go find his first name. Um, Dwayne Washington. And Dwayne Washington's title, he's uh, he's the director of the Nike-affiliated You Play Canada team, and he's also Shaden Sharp's mentor. So this quote is from him. If you haven't heard it, well, there's two quotes I want to read. First, first, he says he will not be going to the NBA draft. That's not even something to talk about. That's like saying, are you going to Mars tomorrow? That tweet was actually on Twitter from uh, from Ben. So he said it again later in the interview, but here's here's the quote that I want people to hear. This is from Washington. If he wanted to do what you guys are saying, he'd just go to the G League, man. Think about it. Why would he go to Kentucky to do that? It doesn't make sense. You go there to get ready so you can have a 16-year career in the NBA. You don't go there to rush somewhere that you could already get to. Everything is all about development, and the process is all about the individual being prepared when he steps on the court. It's really that simple. And two, one thing to keep in mind with this, this is a recruit that they've had a very, very good relationship with for a very long time now. Like Shaden Sharp, the UK buzz was there a long time ago before he ever committed. And I think that there's a mutual trust between the two that they're going to be on the same page with whatever is done, Derek. I just think that Cal will make the best decision, not only for this roster and for Shaden Sharp, but for the program as well in this situation. I think that they'll figure it out and get it. But like what I was saying a second ago, I just feel like if he plays in the second semester, it's because they, they need him. But if this team is able to do what Cal thinks it can do, then they necessarily they don't necessarily to need him to be good this year. But now, I mean, you're adding the number one player. You get what I'm saying there, though. Like, if that makes any sense. I mean, how many teams add the number one player mid year? <laughs> I can't remember it. Uh, I know Jarnell Stokes. He was the number one player, but didn't he, didn't he show up at Tennessee and play? And he did make an impact. But they needed him. Like, yeah, definitely needed him that year. I I don't I don't know. I don't know how I feel about. I mean. <laughs> is the trade-off let's say let's say the plan actually was for him let's just use hypotheticals let's say the plan was for Shaden Sharp to come in mid-year actually play next year and then go to the NBA draft do you take that trade-off or do you take this one where it sounds like the plan as the quotes I just read is just to come here practice not play at all just practice and then next year more than likely be the best player on that team what what, what would you rather have next year Next year. Absolutely. You you yeah. want a full year of him with uh, with a class that's already putting together to be one of the best in the country, and you don't know what comes back <laughs> off this roster. And, and honestly, yeah. Cal probably feels like he has a team this year that can make a Final Four run with a backcourt that has a ton of pieces. we got some other questions we're going to get to, but this this is a fairly fascinating topic to me because I'm wondering how much name, image, and likeness is going to change. Like, will you eventually see this become – it is it is it's absolutely different because mid-year enrollees for football, 
the season's already over, the regular season anyway, and I think all the bowl games are probably over too by the time the kids actually enroll for classes. So you get guys there to, to get a head start on, on their college careers, and it's different football. You know, most players need more physical development before they can really compete in the SEC, things like that. But, Sean, with the money, like I'm assuming Shaden Sharp's probably going to get some money. He's probably going to get an NIL deal somewhere once he gets to UK, even if he's not playing. Do you see this becoming more of a trend for guys that, to be frank, really aren't going to benefit from another year of high school basketball? If it works out for the number one player in the country, absolutely. Like that's you got to have somebody that kind of sets that bar there. And if Shaden comes and it works out and he goes and he has a successful time at UK and he's drafted and the NIL money's there, I 110% see doing it. It's because it's another opportunity to make cash before you go make cash. And I just think that if you can, if you play a semester of basketball or a full year of basketball and you make some money, it's so, it's so different than doing it and playing just a year of high school basketball. It, it hurts, it hurts high school a little bit. Like you're going to, I think you're getting to a point to where NIL could definitely play an impact and, and maybe take some of these guys away from high school sooner than what they would have been. Yeah. I think so, too. I mean, locally, I mean, for people in the 13th region, I guess you may be wondering, like, what will Reed do? Will Reed just finish up his whole high school career? Will he, you know, I don't know if reclassifies even. I mean, I'm not trying to start the rumors. Like, don't quote me saying, you know, I'm saying – I'm just saying, like, maybe it's a possibility. I don't know what Reed's planning to do. But what you said about high school basketball it made me think of that because, you know, I can think back to like Darius Miller, his senior year at Mason County. I mean, it was you know, a big deal to have a UK signee playing high school basketball in the state. And it's been a long time. Dante, I guess, but he got hurt his senior year of high school. Is there anything else we want to talk about with Shaden Sharp before moving on? I don't see anything. All right. Let's, yeah, let's move on. Uh, let's stick with the team or no, let's stick with recruiting. We'll stick with these recruiting questions and then we'll move to the team questions. Um, this one is from Rob. He asked, any recruiting update on the 2022 class? Well, we know John Calipari flew out to see a Dimbona yesterday or over the weekend. So th- that's that's big because you know a decision's coming very soon, Derek. And, I mean, it could be, I think, what, by the end of the week possibly. I've seen that coming out, that it could happen this week. He just wrapped up that official visit to UCLA, got the last one, and then Cal followed it. With a visit, I, I really – that's another – you know, you talked about the Shaden Sharp stuff being kind of back and forth and not really know the footing and where UK and, and things are. But I, I don't think we really know what's going on with the Dim Bonus situation either. I think there – a few months ago, everybody thought it was a lock, including myself, that it would be Kentucky. And then he went through the Derek Lively recruitment and Kentucky and Cal going all after Lively. And let's just let's just call it what it is. The Dim Bona thought that Kentucky prioritized Lively over top of him. So John Calipari had some patching up to do, but UCLA has been there from the beginning, wanting him as the main guy in that class, Derek. So it, it's going to be hard. And I, at this point, I would say a, a dim goes to UCLA. So you think Cal didn't handle that well? I don't want to say that just because it is Derek Lively, and that was the guy that I was telling you. I even said it on this podcast that you you would rather have Lively than Bona because of the upside but what i would have done is i've just went ahead and taken a commitment from from a dim and then tell lively hey if we want you we absolutely want you because if they would have pushed for bona this summer or august they would have got him yeah 
No doubt. Always, always tough in that situation. I would assume if you're a coach, because well, I mean, we have to think that it's not not all the time do these guys want to play together. I mean, it's that's not how it always works. You got some guys that want to play together. You got some guys that don't. I, I, but I think that what they should have done is they should have went ahead and just taken advantage of Bona really liking Kentucky. That was that was the place he wanted to go. Take it and then make it work elsewhere. And if Lively did go to Duke, you still have Bona in your class. You very well could be looking up here pretty soon and have neither of the two in your class. And that's when you're like, okay, we made a big mistake. Yeah, and at that point, I don't – I mean, unless there's a reclass big somewhere in 23, which I don't even know if that's a good idea these days with the portal. I think you're probably looking at – well, like we talked about, I mean – who, who knows? I mean, if you could have gotten livelier bone, I'm with you. I mean, I think you would have liked to have at least gotten one of them. But again, at this point, I'm not convinced that UK's, you know, I don't think UK's front court, I'm not convinced that it's going to be thin for next no. year. I still think there's a chance some guys are going to come back, but you definitely need more. Uh, I mean, they're, you know, that, you know, you can assume Keon ain't going to be back. I, I think most likely that's the case. Um, and who knows, is she Blake Collins? I think Ware will be back if he wants to. I don't think he's going to the NBA after this year. No. So yeah. you'll have a couple of guys, but yeah, I mean. And, and two, with with Bona, I, I will say this. John Calipari, not, I'm not trying to say it was a relationship thing that he had to patch up. It was just a priority thing that he had to patch up, that you had to make that guy feel like he was a prized piece. And, and I, I will say this. I think Cal has done everything in his power to do that. And he is certainly their priority right now. But is it good enough to overcome UCLA? And I, I don't think it helps that UCLA has all this buzz right now going to a Final Four a year ago, being a top three or top four team. That They've got a lot going for them now, Derek. They do, but uh, I think UK's track record over time should still yeah, speak should for stand. itself. But you're right. Uh, I mean, he's living out in California, right? So, I mean uh, – yeah. Whoever he's with, it'll be closer to get to games. But another – I mean, not really an update, but I do find it interesting. It seems like Cason Wallace is going to – he's going to stick with that original commitment date, right? What, November 8th, something like that? Is that the right date? For him? November 7th, right? November, November 7th. 7th, okay. I thought – me, I thought, you know, with all that buzz UK was getting, I thought there was a decent chance he would move up his commitment date. But to his credit, uh, he's he's apparently stuck with uh, his, his original plan. I, I – and listen, I think, you know, people listen to this podcast. I've tried to be up front. I, I do not dabble much in basketball recruiting, but I read things. I mean, I've got access to basically any question I want to ask. I mean, I can figure it out. But, I mean, I don't see any cause for concern with Casey Wallace. Do you? I mean, I think most people still expect him in UK's class. Yeah, I, I think that I'm confident that he's in that class. Uh, but what remains to be seen if a Dimbona will be a part of that class. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, certainly Cal would love to finish this thing up with Bona and Cason Wallace and just call it quits and then kind of look and see what the portal does and things like that, what Shaden Sharp does if he's on your if he's on your roster. Uh, but, I mean, I, I get let's say – let's just go ahead and say this. Let's say Sharp does enroll early, then you can kind of chalk it up. Duke will definitely have the number one class. But you still – if he's still playing and he's there next year – then you, you don't really care about what the number of that class ranking is. You've got your dudes on campus. You've got your roster in place. I expect some guys off of this team to come back. Uh, it's certainly not a bad thing, but they need a Dimbona in this class. If not, you don't go get a reclass. You've got to go to the portal. King Solomon here had a couple of questions. 
from what I see, this is the last recruiting question, but maybe you have some in your DMs. But uh, we'll start. He said, any word yet on the two top 1023 recruits visiting this weekend? So this question was asked on Friday, uh, the two recruit or Saturday. No, what day was this asked, Sean? Yeah, it was on Saturday. Uh, yeah, it was, it was Saturday. He's talking uh, about J.J. Taylor, right? J.J. Taylor and Robert Dillingham, I assume, are the two. Which Kentucky followed with an offer, right, to Dillingham. Was yes. that Sunday? Yep. And I'm pretty sure Taylor was on the video board during the Blue White oh. game. I'm pretty sure that they had him up. It wasn't him. It was someone else, but he was in the, in the background. background of yeah. the video board so i'm like all right like you know let's just show let's just show him in the background so the crowd can cheer and stuff <laughs> uh i mean that's the thing right we're talking 22 right now and, and cow trying to wrap this thing up but you know he's wanting to get a get 23 kick started very soon we know reed shepherd was there uh for big blue madness and and some things i mean it's they're really trying to ramp that class up right now Derek, and that's why i think the sooner that 22 is taken care of the better it is for 23 that Cal and the staff can kind of go all in on that. Yeah. I don't really know what their plan is. It's interesting. Um, Dillingham is, is, you know, from Charlotte, he's got a crystal ball picture, North Carolina. He, if you go by the actual, just like point guard, because Wagner is listed as a combo guard. If you go by just the point guard rankings, Dillingham's a top guy in his class, according to the composite. Um, but if you're UK, you know, how many guards are they planning to take, you think? I mean, if they get Wagner, who most people think they will, if they get Reed Shepard, there's two already. Um, you know, I'm not saying you couldn't take another one, but, I mean, these combo guards, like how, how tall is – Reed is listed at 6'3". Wagner is listed at 6'3". And Dillingham 6'1". So, these aren't like – you know, I mean, this would be more like a – what, a Malik Monk <laughs> – De'Aaron Fox, Isaiah Briscoe backcourt, if that's what they wanted to go. I mean, I don't really know what, what they'll plan to go. But, unless, uh, they, unless they get McKenzie and Baco, and you know he could play the three. Or J.J. Taylor, I guess, yeah. could as well. He's, you know, he's, you know, and I think Mookie Cook, is. it seems like they're actually involved with all these guys. Um, remember what we said a year ago when we talked about 22, that there were so many offers out there that you really didn't know. And it wasn't even a year ago. It was the summer that we really didn't know who they would really zone in and key on until a certain point, and then it would kind of take shape. And then it started becoming, okay, they're going to prioritize Casey Wallace. It's not Nick Smith, Nick Smith Jr., which now, if the Shaden thing ends up playing out and Shaden goes the NBA route, you'd love to have a Nick Smith Jr. <laughs> in that 22 class. Yeah. But uh, it's just recruiting such a messy thing, Derek, that – they're putting all these offers out there and and now they're going to evaluate and then they'll kind of pick and choose and decide which ones they want to prioritize and which ones they don't like who's the first to pull the trigger and commit yeah just just looking at how many guys they've offered and people who seem to be very interested by already visiting i mean you gotta think they're gonna come out looking nice in this class it just kind of remains to be seen who it actually is so let's stick with uh king solomon he asked another question any word on how close Toppin and Frederick are to coming back? I'm a bit worried. I suppose we'll know more if they're not playing in the first exhibition. So, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean. Toppin, he went through warm-ups at the blue-white game. Just didn't play. Like, he was out shooting around, doing stuff like that. I didn't I didn't see Frederick at all, but I, I might have just missed him. Do you, do you remember? He was just sitting there on the bench. That's the only okay. thing that I saw Frederick – 
I don't know, right? I mean, Toppin, we know it's a shoulder issue. John Calipari said that earlier this fall or this summer. And if they're not out there Friday night, then you're kind of starting to think, will they be out there and at least ready for Duke in that season right. opener? Uh, the, the thing with Toppin is it shouldn't be a conditioning problem with it being an upper body injury with a shoulder. With a shoulder. You know he's been able to condition. With Frederick, we know that that minor procedure – has kind of carried over into the fall now and into practice. Did, did Cal said at media day that he tried to give it a go and he saw that he wasn't ready and he told him to take one more day, right? Is that is that how he said it? Uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly how he said it. The way I interpreted it was basically that, you know, maybe even CJ said this. I just – I don't know that he's, like, capable of practicing as hard as he needs to to keep up with this yeah. group. That's kind of the way I which, – Which tells you what? Of the two, like, is he the one that might not be ready for that first game? I mean, if yeah. he's not out there, if he's not out there Friday night, then I, I'm kind of starting to think if if he's not able to keep up with those guys, then he's still a bit away, right? Yeah, I, I think Toppin's pretty close. Um, yeah. Now there was a clip from the the women's clinic on Sunday. Toppin was on the floor during their practice, during their open practice for the women's clinic. He was out there doing some stuff. It looked like he was on defense which tells me he's doing some stuff. And when we were there that day at open practice, didn't he do some stuff that day, but just no contact? I was quarantined. Oh, you weren't there. My, <laughs> I can't believe I forgot all about that. I'm pretty uh, sure he – yeah, he did some stuff that day. He was getting up and down the floor with some of their drills. I remember having some photos, but he didn't do any of the contact. I should say I was voluntarily quarantined, not uh, – I chose to that day. Didn't actually have to go into quarantine, thankfully. Um, Let's see. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Anything got a point guard question for you here. This is directly for you. This is for Kevin. He's directly talking to you on this one. Oh, they know. I, said, I know, huh? I said they know it too. They know how yeah, much. Yeah, they love do. I said I know you heart wheeler with the uh, heart emoji, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Is he better than Hagen's? I felt uh, Hagen's offensive inefficiencies held UK back, and I worry about a repeat without the defensive advantage uh, Hagen's could offer. Jay answered the question for me in the tweet below it. Um, the reason that I like Wheeler so much, and I said this yesterday, I would not be a fan of Xavier Wheeler if you put him on last year's Kentucky team. If you put him on some of these other Kentucky teams, I would not be a fan of Xavier Wheeler. I'm a fan of Xavier Wheeler alone because of the pieces Kentucky has with him, Derek. That's what makes me such a fan of Xavier Wheeler. 
Uh, I know Ashton Hagen's offensive inefficiencies. I mean, we know all about those. His defensive effort was there. Sometimes I think he would gamble and put Kentucky in bad spots defensively too much at times, but he still would make up for it with a bunch of steals and, and getting deflections and things. I just think the shooters and the scorers alongside of Savir will allow Savir to be that all SEC caliber guard that the preseason at the media thought that thinks he'll be. If you put him with shooters, Savir is good. If you put him with a roster like last year with BJ Boston and all those people not hitting shots, it's a disaster waiting to happen. I'm just so fascinated by, uh, and again, it's only been one uh, scrimmage against each other, but I'm just so fascinated to see this team play because it's like, I don't look out there. Besides maybe Ty Ty, I think Ty Ty is probably going to develop into this, but he's the only one that I would look at and say, man, this guy is going to be a future really good NBA player. I think there are other guys that are going to have a chance, like, you know, Collins, depending on what he grows into. But, like, dude, you get some old guys on this team that, you know, let's be frank, they're at Kentucky because they weren't ready for for the NBA, right? It's, it's, is that what we just assume college basketball is now? Like, you're only there because – you're not good enough to go the other place. Like, at least at UK, that's how it is. I yeah, mean. It is. So, so this team, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Like, you can be a great basketball player and just have some limitations that mean you can't make it to the NBA. There are plenty. I mean, no, you got to be incredible to make it to the NBA. Nobody willingly chooses to be a junior or senior at Kentucky. Right. Yeah. So, some guys came in here. So, I just want to see how Cal kind of handles all this because, I mean – Kellen Grady, 24 years old, uh, played a ton of college basketball. Davion Mintz, same deal. He's probably close to 24 in a sixth year of college. You got two guys that have been here that long. You got Brooks, third year. Savio Wheeler, third year. C.J. Frederick, fourth year in college, third or fourth year in college. He hasn't redshirted, has he? So I think I think he did. No, I did think we, I think he did. I think we already had this conversation <laughs> on this podcast. I had to look it up. I'm pretty sure he did redshirt. I think he was a redshirt sophomore last year at, at Iowa, but you can look it up while I'm talking. Uh, and then Sheboy, third year in a program. Like, in a lot of ways, it's like kind of a throwback to, you know, the way things maybe used to be, just in a different way where, you know, all these guys weren't here from the start. They, they've come in here. But I'm just going to be fascinated to see how Cal – because I do, I think they're – it sounds like three guys. I'm sure you talked about that. I haven't gone back and listened to the episode he put up yesterday. I'm sure you talked about uh, Cal more or less saying Wheeler, Washington, and Sheboy were going to start, and then the other guys are still kind of battling it out. Like, to me, there's not huge separation on this team. So, do you feel like Cal's coaching this year is going to be – I don't know. I don't want this to come off as me sounding like Cal rolls the balls out. I don't think that. I think that's an unfair – label that gets put on him but a lot of times yes it is it is clear who the best players are at Kentucky what I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that's a little less clear this year I agree with that and by the way he did red shirt and you had cleared that up with me before and you'll probably <laughs> have to clear it up with me again I don't know where my brain is at when it comes to CJ <laughs> Frederick's timeline but he certainly did red shirt and and I think that the biggest thing that caused Kentucky to struggle a year ago is their best players never became their best players well, they did, but they shouldn't have been. Like, Davion Mintz <laughs> didn't need to be their best player. I'm sorry. He did not need to be their best player. There was no way a transfer guard, graduate transfer from Creighton, should come in and be the best player at Kentucky. That's not how it should be. And that is no knock on Davion Mintz and what he accomplished last year. 
what Cal needs, and he said it the other night, if 12 deserved to play, he'll play 12. He's not playing 12. He's he's not not. playing 10. He's not playing nine. That thing is going to nestle somewhere in there comfortably at eight dudes. They need to know who their best players are. Who are the guys? It doesn't have to be the same guy every night. His best teams have different leading scorers. But even on nights in the past, you still knew who your dude was, even if they weren't leading you in scoring that night. That's what they need to happen with this team. I'm just looking at it and finding, like, who is your who are your separators? Who emerges and says, I'm the leader here? Is it a Ty-Ty Washington? I think the kid has the swagger to do it. I really do. I think by looking at him, ideally, you want to look up in late December, early January, and know that that dude is your best player on this team. And if you get that and you get one or two more that kind of emerge, is it a Keon Brooks Jr.? Is it an Oscar Shibway? I don't know. Is Damian Collins ahead of the curve? Is he shooting the three ball like he did the other night? If they can identify one or two to three dudes that are their best and everybody else kind of buys into their role, Sabir does his thing at point guard, Shibway hits the glass, then I think this team could be very good. But they, you can't go through a year where the starting lineup changes from – to me, Cal mentioned the other night he, he expects probably to start nine of those ten guys. I don't see that either. If he does, then that tells me Kentucky's not being very good. They need to know who it is. Last year, the shuffling of the lineups because he couldn't figure out who was because it didn't matter who put on the floor. They were not good. Yeah, uh, I think it's a really good point. Uh, I've actually got the blue-white game. I was uh, watching the football stuff earlier to take some notes, and uh, it's auto auto played onto uh, Friday night's scrimmage. And uh, I, I, I like this Kentucky team. I, again, I don't know. I don't know the ceiling on it. I don't. I mean, we need to see it. I don't think they're going to be a dominant team, but like I think they're going to be a very good team. And I think it's just going to be so different um, than what we've been used I think, to. I think the thing that you're going to see is you're going to see them execute at a level earlier than what most Cal teams do. Yeah, they're, I agree not, with that. they're not going to beat you. I don't think they're necessarily going to beat you with talent. I think they're going to beat you with execution this year. And, that, and that's okay. Like, I honest, honestly, I would rather have a team that executes more than I have a team that's just full of dudes just wearing you down and beating you with talent. Because at some point, that talent's going to have to execute. And it executed in 2012. And it executed in some other years. I think if Cal's got this experience and he gets this roster to execute and they can run this stuff effectively, and the four-out-one-in stuff looked beautiful the other night, the open floor, the space that they had to drive, the guards, all that. If they do those things, I think this team has a chance to be an elite transition team and be the best transition team in college basketball. And in past years, Derek, it was John Wall, De'Aaron Fox, other guys getting to the rim and transition and dunking on you. I don't think that that's what this team's going to be. I think this team is going to be transition threes and they're going to kill you with it. That, I don't remember if it was first half, second half, or even what the teams were, but when Wheeler was in transition, kicked it out to Grady for a three. You remember the one I'm talking about? Yep. That Two was beautiful. The paint. Yep. Yeah, that's what you want to see. Uh, the only other question I see here in the mentions, on your mentions, is from Eric. He asked, what are your early predictions on the Duke game? As far as what happens? You can take this one wherever you want to I, go. Bud. I want to wait <laughs> – I want to. I want to wait and see the next. I want to see the two exhibitions. I, I want to see what a road it, and not necessarily. That's what I was going to ask you. How many guys do you think Cal plays against Duke? You think he gives everyone a shot against Duke, no. or do you think no. it comes later? Okay, eight dudes. 
So you think he's going to have his mind made up coming into the year who the eight are? He'll play eight guys that night. He'll save the rotation stuff for the games after that. I think going into that night, we'll see the eight guys that have been the best in practice. Or and in your mind, who? So you don't you don't expect Toppin or Frederick? I would guess at this point to play. I'm, I'm saying Topic and Frederick are both out that night, just because I think they're working their way back. Uh, I don't know. And now if 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 they play in the exhibition game, I'll change it. That's why I want to see Friday and next Friday before I say anything because. And, and not as much this Friday as the one against Miles College because he's going to see what he sees Friday night against Kentucky Wesleyan, and I want to see where it goes that second game. I think by the end, look, the competition's not going to be great. If someone drops 25 to 26, I mean, I'm still going to be sitting here saying, whoa, easy, let's not get too carried away. But you'll be able to see some things in these exhibitions. You'll be able to see a pattern. I want to see the lineups that he goes with. Does he stay committed to a four-out one-in? Look, does he end up trying to play two bigs at once? Does he push Keon to the three? Those are the things that I'm looking for. He couldn't do that in the blue-white game when he only had 10 guys. When he has his entire roster and can play it out how he wants, that's what I'm looking to see is what does it look like. Then I'll give my takes on Duke. All right, so let's say you think he's playing eight. To me, and this is my opinion, based on what we've seen so far, what we know, I'm going to say Wheeler, Washington, Grady, Hopkins, there's four, Brooks, Sheboy, Collins are all, I would think, locks to play. So that's seven right there. So that would mean Dante Allen, Jacob Toppin, Lance Ware, C.J. Frederick. Am I forgetting anybody? I don't think so. I, I agree with you. I don't think he's going to play a ton of guys either. I mean, it's going to leave somebody – well, Some guys that you probably might have thought in the preseason who are going to help, who maybe won't be. And, and Toppin, I, I talked to I talked to Jacob last week. I think Toppin has potential to be their best defender, one through four. And if he does that, he plays. And if you don't feel like they have another true five outside of, and I don't exactly. think Ware's even a true five, but like that might be his spot. No, and, and you're probably going to have to play Ware some, just given that Sheboy and the way the roster is kind of pieced together. Ware's going to have to play some, but I'm talking healthy, no foul trouble, eight dudes. Frederick's going to be the – I'm just going to go ahead and call it. Frederick's playing over Dante Allen. I think so. I think Dante's going to be the odd man out. That's That's how I see it. I mean, Better look, shoot the I, cover off the ball when he gets in there. Well, here's here's my thought. When Cal said the other night that he could see nine of those ten dudes starting games, who was the dude he wasn't talking about? Dante. Dante. No, clearly, I'm just you couldn't be more obvious. So we're going to find out a lot. You you will find out a lot when the I'm going to say the uh, the blue team that he had. Oh, sorry. I didn't hear you. No, you're fine. I'm just going to say the blue team that switched over. I can't remember, uh, but it was it was when he, Keon actually played his best, and it made me wonder if they had practiced a lot together. But it was Wheeler, Washington, Grady, Brooks, and Sheboy. That, to me, feels like the group that'll get the – that'll start up in New York. And I know some people were talking about, you know, could Damian Collins sneak in and start the four? Could Hopkins sneak in and start the four? Look, Keon Brooks didn't come back to Kentucky for a junior season to not start. I, I just don't see it. I, I think that Cal gives him the nod early. He would and have then, to play his way out, I think. Exactly. For, and Or yeah. somebody has to just be that much better to play their way into that spot. 
I think that that one is in. And I just think that Grady, 2,000 career points, four-year starter, I, I think that that speaks for itself. And But the, the biggest thing will be, and I said this yesterday on the on the episode, who we left – you didn't mention Mintz earlier, did you? I didn't mention Mintz. I knew there was one more guy I left off. Man, there's going to be more than a few guys who uh, who are good players that won't be playing. Yeah, there's just not enough minutes, man. And if, if he's not going to platoon, there's not enough minutes. So – Man. And Mintz will play. Mintz is a guy that's going to be factored in. So, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. That's why I think the starters could be the starters, but who are their closers? Who closes games? It'll be the five that he trusts the most. I think Mintz – I think he trusts Mintz. And I think Mintz has a leg up on some guys because of that. But I don't think that – I think Cal's seeing the bigger picture here, which leads us into a question about Davion – from Shane, he said, last year, if Davion Mintz had an off night, so did Kentucky basketball. Who do you think this year is going to be the guy who somewhat plays that same role? Sheboy. Sheboy, exactly. If Sheboy struggles or gets in foul trouble, then I think that Kentucky struggles. Uh, with teams that have an elite front court. Yeah. Now, yeah, I think they can definitely overcome guard problems just because they have so many. Um, yeah. But, you know – <laughs> That's why I was asking you. I know maybe it sounds crazy because he was like literally playing the two for UK last year, but like to me, Jacob Toppin might be their most versatile guy. He is. Like I wouldn't be shocked if he had to like play some front court with like Keon or, yeah. or I mean Collins. I know Collins is there too, but like I'm just saying I wouldn't be stunned if there's some situations that uh call for them to play a couple minutes with like a front court of Toppin and yeah. And, and when I'm talking playing eight dudes, I'm talking eight dudes that get twelve plus minutes a game. Right. That's what I'm thinking. Now, they could, you could look up and have a guy that plays three or four minutes. I mean, Mark Curry went down into every stat, <laughs> every, every <laughs> stat sheet that you saw that year in box score because he'd play the first four minutes of the game. So I didn't, I never at any point did you count that guy as a rotation guy. If, if you're playing 10, 12, 13 minutes, I, I, I'm going to count you as playing in the rotation because you're, you're taking up some minutes at, at multiple spots at different points of the game. Uh, back to Final Four wants us to project our starting five for Duke. And what does UK do when predictable SEC officiating gives Oscar 2,003 minutes for setting screens 30 feet from the basket? <laughs> so that's a really good question, which is why I think Lance Ware will have to play some. But if Lance can't do it, then it goes into what you said. Does Toppin's athleticism and length buy you some time there? With the key on, do you go super small, Derek, and just go really athletic? Do you mix in some zone defense with this team? I think this is a roster that could play some zone, and he may have to at times to kind of stay away from the foul trouble situation in the in the front court. I don't doubt if there comes a situation that they get in like severe foul trouble that they would go very small. Um, I, obviously, I already said my starting lineup. I didn't know that question was in there, um, so I answered it already. Um, Monsavir, Tai-Tai, Keon, Grady, and Oscar. That's my five. Yeah, so we have the same five yeah. going into the year. Uh, I guess the biggest questions I have that haven't been answered yet, um, it's definitely the back. It's definitely behind Oscar because I think Ware is going to get a shot, but I, I just – is Collins physically going to be able to – I could see that being another kid that gets in foul trouble, you know, just pure strength, not being able to handle some guys and trying to do whatever he can. To, and he, the, the question's right. Like, 
officiating, no doubt. I mean, I think in college basketball, I think it's brutally bad. And uh, there, there are no question there are going to be nights that uh, they're getting some foul trouble. And how do they overcome that? I think it's a really good point because the roster is guard heavy for sure. They have, what, six guards, like true guards, um, and not as many clear guys. I mean, Oscar, if Oscar is playing well, getting rebounds, cleaning up at the rim, I think this team's going to look really good. But if he's over there on the bench for 16 minutes in the first half and you're trying to make by with Lance Ware and Damian Collins, like I, I – I think there could be some frustrating nights in there mixed in. Do you think that this roster, out of all the ones that he's had, has more unknowns than any point in his time at UK? Just true unknowns. Like, who is Damian Collins? Who is Davion Mintz on this Kentucky team? Who is behind Oscar Sheboy? Like, it, it feels like that they have they have talent, they had we expect them to be a good basketball team, but as far as how this all shakes out, I think there's more unpredictable like unpredictable situations going into this season than they've had at any point in his time. Yeah, that's I mean, a good question. I'm trying to figure out how I want to answer this. Well, the platoon team, you know who the dudes were coming back. Yeah, like you you had those guys. I, you know, you feel like the, the an, uh, this would be an obvious statement, like that team was complete. Like they really had everything you would want. Um, this team doesn't have that, but I'm trying to figure out some other teams. I don't know. Like that's the thing with this team. You can't really compare it to any other teams that he's had at UK because it is so different. Just the style of play. The only one that you could really compare it to would be 2011. Yeah. Just given playing, playing so many different guards and, but that, that the difference was, is that team wasn't deep. No, it wasn't. It wasn't deep. And you had a, you know, a better shooting point guard and burn the ninth and what some of your wheeler is going to be. Yeah. But you didn't have as many, you know, I don't know that anyone on this team is going to, sh- well, maybe, I mean, if Tata is really, really good, then maybe he gets close to Duran Lamb range, but I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, Lamb was pretty special shooting the ball. I, what I was going to say, and I, I don't really like saying this this far out because I really don't know. It feels to me like this team and I was going to ask you this earlier, but just because of kind of how many guys they have, like, do you feel like maybe you have to worry more about this team hitting its ceiling earlier in the year than maybe some other Cal teams where you felt like they were younger, they were starting to figure it out. You know, maybe they, that ceiling, you know, they never really reached it or whatever. They had a lot of room to grow once it got to March. I almost wonder with this team, if you got to worry about peaking too early. And that's a, that's a very good point. And the reason it's a very good point is because a, a lot of these guys are who they're going to be. Yeah. Where in past years, you knew that your freshmen were going to just continue to get better and get better and get better. So does that make Ty Ty Washington and, and Damian Collins and Bryce Hopkins all the more important? It, it makes Ty Ty all the more, all the more important because yeah. guard play wins you national championships. And now that doesn't say that that goes without saying too, that there's dudes on this roster that are going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a really good question. I hadn't even I hadn't even approached it that way because you're you're but then again you watch and see last year in college basketball your older teams were your teams that survived it at the end and stuff. Well, there are gonna be a lot of old teams though this year with uh super seniors, things like that. I've seen a stat somewhere that like th- this should in terms of quality basketball, like this should be one of the better years ever for college about at least at least uh in the one and done era i should say yeah i can't go back and speak on how ball was played in the 90s but i would think uh 
and prior to the 90s. But I would think, like, in this era of college basketball, with how many guys have come back, um, I mean, Kentucky's got two guys that are super old, you know, and, you know, other teams across the country will too. So I think it's going to make the quality of, of ball much better this year, which if you're a college basketball fan, I think you got to be thrilled about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Nick did have a question about Shaden Sharp that we did answer everything. I just wanted to make sure that we let Nick know that we did see that question, but we covered everything about how it would affect chemistry. As far as when he would be game ready, Derek, I think we, I mean, what, it would have to be sometime in January probably. If he enrolled, gets here. yeah, that you would think by game ready. Oh, yeah. I mean, gosh, I don't know. I mean, is he talented enough? He could show up tomorrow and <laughs> help him, probably, right? But I don't know in terms of. And Andy has a question here that I've really talked about a lot. And I think I tweeted about this the other night. Is it a bad thing? I think it's really good. Mintz is coming off the bench and not starting. I've seen people upset saying he should start, but honestly, if he's one of Kentucky's best players, I'm worried about the team. I said that exactly on Twitter the other night, and I said it on Sources Say recently that Davion Mintz, we saw what Kentucky looked like when he was their best player, and it wasn't a good Kentucky team, and that is no knock on Davion Mintz. Derek, there was no doubt Davion Mintz was brought in last year to kind of ease the bumps for Devin Askew and what – Cal kind of figured out as Devin Askew was not going to get there. Not last season. It had to be Davion Mintz. That is not what happened. That's that, that's not what Cal wanted to happen, but it is what happened. They need Savir, Grady, Tata, these other guys to, to be who they are and allow Davion to slide into that role that he originally came to Kentucky to do. And if he does that and he's number six, seven, eight, or nine, I think Kentucky's really, really good this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed I forgot about Mintz. There's so many people listening to that part, like, yelling at me, like, how can you forget uh, that guy? Well, uh, the only one. I forgot him, too, <laughs> until I saw it. There's so many players uh, that could legitimately play this year. It's much different. I have one from Wesley. In the last few years, UK has had a hard time landing elite bigs, specific, specifically centers from the high school route. With the track record UK has produced in the NBA with Bam – Carl Anthony Towns, AD, Cousins, Collie Stein, and Nerlens, you would think UK could land top big man prospects out of high school. We have even shown to develop bigs like Nick Richards. One, why do you think UK is having such a hard time landing top big man prospects? And two, what do you believe the coaching staff needs to change in order to land guys like a Dimbona, Lively, et cetera? That's a, that's a really good question. And it's a really good question of why they haven't been able to land that spot since – Bam. I mean, Nick was a de developmental guy. It's a good question that I don't have the answer to. Uh, and you uh, would think with Antigua and the staff that that changes, right? Yeah, I would think so. But I was, uh, I was just Lanson in 23. I didn't really see like a true big man. I think Kwame Evans is a power forward at the top of that class, but I've not heard UK tied to him at all. Omaha Baloo, I don't know if that's how you say his last name. He's another big in that class. It sounds like UK is focusing in on. But in terms of like, like true five that they used to get, I guess Duran was was in the mix. And they, you know, that I don't know. It is it is odd that they were on such a tear where every year you could count on them, you know, having a stud center. I mean, it's like they were lining up there early in the Cal years between you know, AD went out, Nerlens came in. I, I want to say, you know, they had the down year. Um, 
But then, you know, Dakari was a top 10 guy. Julius Randle came in. And then I think he probably already had Carl Anthony Towns committed by the time those guys even rolled around. So, I mean, they were just lined up to come to Lexington. And, yeah, it's definitely – it's definitely, and then I mean, at least you know on paper, like Scal was was supposed to be the next big one. He was committed to come in right after that platoon team. I mean, they were just rolling, really until, really until Orlando left, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Rod has a question here. He said, uh, after the blue white game, it is apparent that this team will be quite different offensively with plenty of options, players, etc. But we know Coach is only going to play those that are committed to defense and rebounding. And there wasn't a lot of D being played in the game. Leaving offensive skills out of it, who might the top rotation players be defensively and who might get squeezed for time? I mentioned Jacob Toppin earlier. If he commits to being that one through four defender that can play those defend those spots, there's value there. I think Savir showed you that he's going to be a pest on the basketball. That, that, that gets you playing time. I do think that that is going to be how you get consistently on the floor this year, but on top of that, who at that four spot becomes their best rebounder? Because if Oscar's not getting every rebound, you need somebody else to. If Oscar's in foul trouble, who's getting rebounds, Derek? I think it could be the best rebounder at that four spot, more so than the best shooter or scorer, because you're going to have scoring one through three, I think. Yeah, I agree. Ah, Yeah, that's a good question he had. I would think Mintz, you know, the only two guys I would look at and have question marks with how they're going to defend on the perimeter, at least up to Cal's liking, would be Dante and Frederick. One, Frederick, you know, he's – that Iowa team, I ain't blaming this all on him, but wasn't Iowa, like, notoriously bad defensively? Yeah. And, you know, he's just playing with guys, quite frankly, I'm going to guess, who are much better defenders than him. Um, Dante feels like he's got potential as a defender, but going by Cal's comments last year, he clearly thought there was a lot of room for improvement. I do think Dante will get a chance to show that he's better, but we'll see what happens. Um, with you on Severe, should be very good. And I got to think Collins defensively. I know his strength exactly. is going to be a problem, but he's my guess would be when you're talking about defending in terms of affecting shots near the rim, he would probably be your best option. And then hopefully rebounding, he can find a way. But, you know, Keon's not a bad rebounder. No, um, he's, not. he's not. So, I mean, and- I, I think they'll be okay. And Chris actually was talking about Damian. This is our last question. He said, feel like no one is talking about Damian Collins. Dude can really shoot it and handle the ball for a 6'9 forward center. Where do we see him in the rotation? And, Derek, I know the thing that that all of us were kind of reluctant to push all of our chips in on Damian Collins as a freshman was because he had never touched a weight before. And just how, how, like, skinny his body was and how skinny his frame was. But then he showed the ability Friday night to step out and hit threes and and handle the ball and move well. If he can do that, he gets minutes. But like you said, if he can rebound, we know his length is going to be a factor. That might be the way he gets on the floor. And you you could factor him being in not necessarily one of their better defenders, but one of their guys that can make an impact with their length defensively. Yeah, that jump shot looked good the other day. I know that, he, you know, in his high school tapes, he had some – you know, all those guys doing high school, though, all those, even the bigs, they all are out there shooting threes. I don't really know how that would translate, but it definitely looks like he's got a good shot. I mean, he's definitely going to be a rotation player. I think all those freshmen for sure. I mean, Tata's going to start, but outside of that, I think he'll get Hopkins and uh, and Collins off the bench, at least to start the year and see where they grow from there. But, yeah, he's, he's an exciting-looking guy to me for sure. I just uh, wonder – I. He's in terms of how you project him moving forward, he's one of the more 
uh, intriguing guys just because he felt like his freshman year could go so many ways. Does he get bullied down in the block and then get discouraged? Does he have some Isaiah Jackson to him? I mean, I know Isaiah was was a skinny guy as well, but, you know, affected the game in so many ways that you had no choice but to play him. Um, do the NBA guys see enough out of him that they want him to enter the draft and maybe take him as a lottery pick? I, I don't know. I feel like his season could really go <laughs> uh, any direction. Yeah. And I think I think you can say that more for him than most guys. Like, I think a lot of other guys, for the most part, you know more than likely – what they might turn into. Some guys are probably going to – it's like any year. Some guys are going to play better than we thought coming in. Some guys are probably going to play a little bit worse. Some guys are going to play the way we expect. Yeah. Um, so, But to Collins, to me, I'm not even sure where he even, like, put his ceiling, and I don't know. That's what, that's what I'm curious, Sean. Like, I could see a situation where he's, like, maybe not even playable sometimes, and then I see other scenarios where you're like, man, like, they really, really need Collins on the floor <laughs> to help them right now. So, he's one of the, he's one of the guys I'm really fascinated to see. So many guys were fascinated to see. I'm fascinated to see Bryce Hopkins. I'm fascinated to see Damian Collins. That's what I was getting at earlier, that there are just so many unknowns. But I think we know that they're going to be good enough to – they're worthy enough to be the media pick to win the league. I think they have enough talent to live up to that, and we see where it goes from there. If some of these guys emerge, and let's say Damian Collins reaches that upside sooner than we expect, then Kentucky's going to be really, really good. But – Remains to be seen, but man, they play Duke two weeks from today. I mean, it is here. It is time. It's going to be fun. Uh, we'll be here to talk all about it. We'll be here to talk football the rest of the week. This was a deep mailbag because we hadn't done a basketball mailbag in a while. Pretty exciting stuff, though, Derek. I mean, it's definitely time. It's going to be a much better season than it was a year ago. Man, it couldn't be much worse, right? <laughs> no, it, no, it can't be worse. <laughs> There's no chance. I don't see any chance that it's worse, but. As always, this show is powered by Blue Wire Pods. It's also powered by the Butcher's Pub, three locations, Palmville, Williamsburg, and London, Kentucky. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. 